The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range. Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie Okay, as always at this time, Moncon McGann has uh, popped in to talk to us. Uh, Moncon, you're a, a well-travelled man, I think it's fair to say. You've seen most parts of the globe at this stage. And you're kind of in reflective mood this week. You're you're talking about bringing back some of the, the lessons that you learned from your trips abroad to, to living here. Yeah, exactly. So, in fact, I just came back this morning from D.C., uh, from the Kennedy Centre in Washington, and talk of people thinking that, that Trump was still a threat. Like, they're, 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 they see it as a, as, a, as a sort of a daily reality. There's all this, clearly all that Kennedy Centre, they're all going to be Liberals and Democrats, but they're all thinking they're already planning their evacuation uh, their plans, if it does come to, to whatever, to, 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 to try. But I just think, yeah, I, I mean, when you realise, I have changed so much in my life from travel. And, you know, in this slot, I'm always trying to say there's so much more to travel than just getting your one week or your two weeks rest. In fact, it opens our minds in a million ways. And so there's loads of things one can learn. So, you know, I built the first straw bale house in Ireland, mainly because when you grow uh, traveling abroad, you're seeing people are living, they're building houses out of what's around them, you know, mud or, or clay or reeds or straw. So I'm just thinking, what can we learn as a nation? Well, how, how is the house going, by the way? I mean, uh, no, not great, to be fair, but that's because I'm a terrible did a builder. Wolf, did a wolf come along and huff and puff and blow it down? That sort of thing. Yeah. But okay. the, so I didn't bring home the skills of building. I just brought home the idea. Yeah. But, but like, the, the theoretical things you know when you're in Japan and you suddenly see this is a society that has basically no natural resources and is still the third biggest economy in the world so they have to import 60% of their food and somehow for you know I mean things have changed now in Japan as we know the, the, the downturn in the last decade but for so long they built up this thing and how did they do it by looking after everyone but they had this wonderful rule that everyone was guaranteed a job for life or at least until they were 60 you know and their income increased as the, as the, the company's increase uh, income increased. Okay, So the profits were directly uh, in line with them. And if the profits increased, not only did their minimum wage increase, but their bonus increased. And then if if again, if the if the company grew, then they had the company had to take on more stuff. A virtuous cycle effect. Exactly. So every so no one was overworked. A no, circle. Sorry, yeah. yeah. No one was overworked. Every when the company grew, other people were employed. That meant more money going to the economy, and it worked for so long. Do you know? So it's like we're always trying to think of solutions, but the solutions are out there in other parts of the world. Like the great example at the moment is Rwanda. So uh, I mean, to be fair, Rwanda suffered like the worst onslaught of of anyone in the in the. I think a, a million people lost their exactly, lives. Exactly. Nineteen ninety four. Yeah. yeah the genocide. But what has come out of that is the first country in the world that has um, sort of two, sort of three times more female representation in government in the lower house and twice as much female representation in the Senate, in the in the higher house. Yeah, so that's, and, and it's what, 64% of government positions in the Chamber of Deputies filled by women. Exactly. Like you could, you'd say that would be impossible to achieve. They're going to be quickly. introducing quotas for male candidates basically the way <laughs> things are going. Yeah. And that was, so they set up a quota for thir- of that 30%. So this wasn't in any way forced. That 64% was just natural. People deciding, okay, we've been through a traumatic experience, we're going to have to rethink uh, you know how they're doing things. So at the moment, their supreme, their the Supreme Court of Justice, fifty percent of the judges are women. Like, so it's all the model has already been done in one part of the world. And the thing is, when we go on holidays, we can see that and and either be inspired by it or okay. command it when we come back. The other thing you notice if you visit, um, say, Asian countries, mm-hmm. is their kind of veneration of the elderly, yeah. uh, exactly. whereas we. 
at best probably patronise the elderly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the, and you know, you'll get tourists who'll take photos when they're in either in Thailand or in Taiwan or in China of the morning qigong or the tai chi classes in the in, in the park where all the women and all the older men are out in the park either you know playing chess, minding their birds or doing exercises. And again, we know we have isolated older people in our in our world, but we never think are these ideas that we we could bring home. To be fair, some of that idea, particularly China, was the model because it was built on the Confucian idea of absolute respect for your for your elders and we know there was a dark side sometimes that was used sort of to have this um, sense of autocratic rule the sense of blackmail by the elders at their younger generation but you still see it in Africa too where that respect for what the older people said it still has so much sway um, now the Chinese have recently had to bring in a law so the elder rights law to demand that actually young people who are now moving you know from the rural areas to the cities go back to their local to their uh, to, to their villages regularly to look after the uh, the elderly but it's nothing like what Europe has to do so sorry you could actually be prosecuted for not looking after your exactly parents. you can end up in prison for not doing it but only because what happened like in France they've had to bring in r- rules as well there's now like article 207 of the of the civil code has brought in that you if you're not looking after your elderly people again they're there are um, there are there are sort of um, repercussions for this because this was after a heat a heat wave that happened uh, over a decade ago in France that led to fifteen thousand old, older people dying in their houses and some being only found weeks later. So the government realised this is like a national issue. They're going the old the highest rate of suicide among pensioners is in France. So they had to they had to bring in these rules. But like we already see the solutions in so much of the developing world, they are already caring for their elders. Okay. Um, let's move on to some, somewhere different. Um, you've been to Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What and what lesson did you learn from again, there? Again, you know, we think of Costa Rica as just a developing country, and that they have so much to learn from from us. In fact, Costa Rica ninety five percent of their energy comes from renew- renewable resources. Now, in one way, you could say that they have an unfair advantage because they have these massive rivers so like 80% of it is from hydro and 12% from geothermal but in fact like you're already seeing um, so the you know the other the other sort of form of energy that is coming in I suppose is um, is is um, anaerobic digestion or, or sort of biogas but that can be done in Ireland there's sort of, there's movements there's sort of there's government reports saying that you can bring in um, I think there was one the Joint Committee of Communication in the Irish government in 2011 said that we could have a thousand small farm based generation plants with each producing about 380 kilowatts so of electricity which would power about 400 houses so the solution which you know they're doing in Uganda yeah, they're you doing can, you can China. imagine the planning uh, objections to that but, but and yet so it, it looks like an impossibility and that's what's great you're in holidays and you see it isn't an impossibility it's happening somewhere else like one of the great things for me when I went on this holiday in Thailand I was just taking local buses and mini buses um, and sort of long term buses across the state and you're stopping every 120 kilometres and you're wondering why first are we doing this like is there is there some you know are the buses not good enough but it's not the Thailand have decided they have a huge amount of natural gas okay so they decided all their taxis all their massive trucks all their public buses and vans would be powered on natural gas okay that means having big tanks you know in the back of your boot mm. so the range was only about 120 kilometres so everyone is stopping there's a lot more petrol stations or gas stations than we have in Ireland so everyone stops 100, every 120 kilometres and then the local villages, the local farmers have set up tables and stalls in all the petrol stations. So they look like modern, you know, SR shell petrol stations, but there'll be these stalls of local women selling their local food. So you get out every maybe 120 kilometres, you stretch your legs, you just have a few little bites of the local food. You're tasting the food of the areas you're going. And it makes each drive, um, you know, such a much more relaxing occasion. And what? It probably adds another 20 minutes to your journey. Mm. You know, it's it, like the solutions are there. Okay. Uh, 
CJ has texted in with respect to Moncon. His waxing lyrical about Japan, about Japan is naive. It was a backward feudal society until the 19th century. Then until the end of World War II, it was a military dictatorship. It enjoyed growth and relative stability for a few decades, but growth has been negative for several decades now. It is a monocultural and highly racist society where depression and alcohol dependency are endemic. I'm not seeing his point, to be honest. I, I think that's a a pretty negative perception of uh, of Japan, to be fair. And what you were lauding in particular, mm-hmm. I, I think, was workers' rights and, and how they treated workers. Yeah, but he's right. But even, so, but even to the point that those workers' rights are being eroded every year. So what we saw was at post-World post War, there was a 40-year like boom on Economic a scale miracle, of no other. Yeah. So what can we learn from that? Clearly from the collapse we're not learning. So the thing is you're picking what you can learn without, without taking the worst aspects of every Well every we country. can learn from the things that went wrong I, I suppose as well. Anyway you're not saying any of these countries are a utopia. You're saying they they have good things that we can uh, we can we can use and, and, and borrow from. Um, come here, a lot of people like would like Ireland to be more like a Scandinavian uh, mm-hmm. country. Uh, I know you you've been to Copenhagen. You love it's a it's a great working city, yeah. and you love the idea. But the, the number of people who cycle in Copenhagen. Yeah, and again, to be fair, that is something we're slowly learning from in Dublin that probably would have been unimaginable. So at the moment, so you know, Denmark is, as you say, particularly Copenhagen, that fifty percent of the people in in the inner city of Copenhagen cycle. So about thirty six percent of those in the in the suburban area. But like Dublin Corporation, that's sort of their. Their, their goal is to try and get up to 20% of people in Ireland um, are in Dublin uh, cycling. At the moment, so Denmark, Den- uh, sorry, Copenhagen has the largest amount of cycle paths. They have four, 400 kilometres of cycle lanes. But we already have 120 kilometres of cycle lanes, whereas, you know, 15 years ago, we had nothing. Mm. So, in fact, the idea of seeing a model that does work and, to, and, and putting it onto Ireland is being done. The big change is that in, in Copenhagen, 63% of politicians will cycle to work. They'll cycle to Christianburg Castle to work. Now, if we had that sort of buy-in in Ireland... You don't see too many Irish politicians. <laughs> no, so I, I, th- I think Dennis Nocton does it. Did I read that, that Dennis Nocton uses the... That you know, one of the the the, the bikes, the Dublin City Council yeah, bikes, yeah. To, to to cycle around. Um, we we have a problem with public. Tra- we have a hang up about public transport in this mm-hmm. country. You think that they don't have, say, for example, in Britain. Yeah, I mean, we're better than America. America is just, you know, they have such disrespect for buses. You know, no one will... will Only losers take the bus, Exactly, exactly. In their, in their yeah, view. yeah. Um, and the, but there's a strong element of that in Ireland where it's not at all in, in England. You know, in England, when they're going to Glyndebourne, to the opera, or down to any sort of festival, they'll all get on the train, they'll all get on the local buses, and they'll bring their pims, or their, their strawberries and cream with them. They don't have this sense that public transport is any way lesser. They just see the opportunities of it. And so, like, you know, every time you go in England, you're amazed that people are coming back out of, uh, you know, sort of elegant do's and they're all, you'll see them all dressed in black tie at on night. The, on, on the, the tube or on yeah, the bus. Yeah, we have a funny thing in this country where uh, it's, a, it's a middle class thing. People will go on the, on the Lewis, <laughs> but they won't go on a bus. It's so true. Yeah, yeah. One idea that was, they tried to bring it in in the, in the last election. There were about three different groups trying to bring in some form of direct democracy, which again, Switzerland has, uh, has, has been the, the pre-chief proposal proponent of and again direct democracy has has limitations as well as potentials God help us from direct democracy come on but just as an idea Switzerland's different they've got like four different nationalities in that country effectively that was brought in as a way of getting around that 
I mean, Jesus, government by referendum, nothing would happen. No, but uh, again, but it, you can see that our current democracy doesn't work. So this idea, well, clearly there's uh, models. Uh, but that's pretty arguable, but go on. Yeah, so, so you know, the Swiss model is that they will be voting, if we vote every four years, the Swiss probably would vote four times a year. And even on things down to the level of whether uh, their local museum should get funding or whether there should be, you know, s- s- whether local restaurants should be, um, smoking should be banned from local restaurants. So that idea of even considering giving people more, de- more uh, democracy and particularly using it in some sort of more high-tech way with phones is at least worth experimenting. And the thing is, we can see both the poss- potentials and the failures of it in countries when we're on holidays. That's, that's the idea, is just to explore these. Okay. Martin's texting to say, something travel has taught me is how incredibly lucky we are to live here compared to much of the world. Ireland is so clean, peaceful and beautiful. Martin, you're so right. And it amazes me how negative we often are about this. I mean, the number of people, and it's legitimate to say, oh, this place is a kip and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not. We are incredibly privileged. Exactly. To, and that doesn't mean we're any better than any other country, mm-hmm. but we are very lucky to live here um, you haven't mentioned Germany at all well, what should we learn from, from the Germans because it is it's a model of efficiency as a country I mean it works really really well yeah yeah, but it's sort of it's their attitude more than anything isn't it it's to try and get your mind around how can we become German like are the Irish are never going to become German um, so there's there's sort of there's, there's, there's elements that we can bring there's, there's sort of elements that we can bring in that are rules and leg, reg, regulations but to bring a whole mindset in is a very hard thing to do like even even Scandinavia, when you see their what they will how they will um, sort of pay their bankers and their leaders. So you remember there was a scandal. I think Barclays Bank, Bob Diamond, was on twenty six million dollars a year as his annual salary, whereas the CEO of this top Swedish bank is going to be on one point one million. And in fact, there's a, there was a referendum about two years ago brought in trying to cap the CEO CEO wages in in Sweden to um, a twelfth of the minimum wage of any company. So basically, what what one person is earning in one month, uh, the uh, sorry, no, what one person is earning in the whole in the whole year, the boss should earn maximum in the month. So it shouldn't be any more that 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 failed. Okay. But already they're on like their wages are the, the top CEOs in companies in 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 in, Scand- in Sweden and in fact across Scandinavia are about five thousand euro five thousand dollars a month. Uh, mm. Which you know, and yet people, and yet you'd normally think, okay, they're all going to emigrate to places where they can get a lot more. But there's not. They say there's only about four percent of CEOs in, in Sweden would like to work abroad. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, what about America? What have you learned from your trips there? I suppose the nicest idea is the Peace Corps. Like the Peace Corps, uh, you know, so we have this issue in Ireland that people don't want to go straight into college. They don't know what to do, particularly during the downturn years where the jobs weren't there. And the Peace Corps has, clearly it had CIA agendas, it had massive uh, political agendas after Vietnam. But as an idea, what it is basically is young people who are either full of idealistic ideas and want to go out and help the world, but don't quite know how to do it. Or there was our lost in another direction. Um, in the past, you were able to avoid conscription by joining the Peace Corps. But basically you spend three years uh, helping humanitarian uh, sort of groups around the world, and it gives it both it gives a, a positive face to America in developing countries, but it also helps young people before they've totally sorted out what they want to do uh, find a role in the world. Yeah, the only problem with that is they won't go off traveling around the world and bring home great ideas from abroad if they're in the Peace Corps. Why not? No, they will. That's what that they do. Oh, I sorry, they go and they do it yeah. abroad, oh, do they? So, so often I've been in places in Asia or in Africa and you've seen an amazing little project ah, which I is see. done by some 22-year-old okay. no, no, young I'm sorry, I, I, stand, I stand corrected. One of, one of the greatest ideas is in, the, in Andalusia, you know, when you go in and you get tapas, you buy a little drink and your drink yeah, costs two euros, yeah. a glass of wine or whatever, and then you get, free, you get a free little dish, a little food. And the thing is, you're getting to taste the very best of the local food of the area and it's costing the bar owner pittance. You know, it's only a tiny little 
plate. It's a, like a, a taster of, of the food. But so in Ireland, we say, you know, the publicans are clearly saying that they're on their knees. They're not getting the numbers they, they once got. But the, we have more tourists. We have way more tourists than we've ever had. So why not? Every time you get your Guinness, your pint of Guinness or your whiskey, that you're given a little bit of gobine, chorizo or, or limerick ham or dingle mountain lamb, just a little taster of it. And immediately people would feel that they're getting something something extra. But the local food providers would also be able to promote their wares and, and sort of give them yeah. more authentic taste. Now, okay, good stuff. Um, come here, when you're flying over Ireland mm-hmm. and then you're flying over Britain, one of the things you absolutely notice about the British countryside is no one-off housing. Whereas you fly over Ireland, there are literally houses everywhere. Yeah, and again, you know, why was that? I suppose that's because of the English mentality. They were able to control their their proper their land. planning, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it can be done, and every, I mean that's why we enjoy driving around Cornwall and Devon. Yes, it can seem, or even Scotland, it can seem a little contrived, but at least you are. It is a landscape that has been preserved. The main thing, as you said, when you're flying over Ireland and England, you see the absolute fertility of the land. You know, compared to when, as I said, you know, I was flying north just this morning, north of of DC, over that land, there's dark areas of dry of. Rock rocky land but the whole of Ireland basically is entirely fertile and we know now that like trees will grow in Ireland better than anywhere else in the world they, they you know they might grow slightly sappier but they grow faster than anywhere else so it's only when you're abroad and you're seeing like in Scandinavia how they're heating their houses with timber we you know we never do we have one sort of decorative wood in our, on our in, in, in our fireplace where in fact we could be producing so much energy from that and so much we could be growing so much more vegetables like again like you're seeing in Holland and in Germany Okay uh, listener says Shane thanks for saying that about Ireland I'm 54 years old I've had my fair share of ups and downs over the years but one thing I'm sure of I won the lottery of life by being born here we all did I told my kids that when they were young and I told my kids that when they were young and every child I've ever taught knows it too I think it's a nice message uh, to to get across Mm -hmm. Um, come here on a slightly uh, yuckier note Mm -hmm. Um, what's this about China and human compost yeah, so a few years ago, I spent about four months traveling around to the, the remotest areas of China. And what you're still seeing is incredible fertility. Okay, these are like terraced lands in the remote areas growing the freshest vegetables and rice. And you're looking around and they're not using fertilizers. And you made the mistake of asking, what is your secret? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's basically human manure. So either there are communal uh, com- compost lavatories or everyone will bring out their night soil and... Uh, well, they'll compost it first. They'll let it rot down for a year to okay, uh, under so either. Not- fresh and... No, because clearly there are pathogens in human manure. You cannot put it on the soil and then grow vegetables. But if you compost that for a year and allow it either digest, uh, sort of break down anaerobically or aerobically, uh, you get the ma- most amazing fertiliser. So, like, we think we've learned a lot. Like, the Chinese have been farming on that very same land for 4,000 years. And if you see the solidity, the, the fertility of that land without any fertilisers, without any extra inputs, and it's it's purely uh, by... It's I, not just, a, I mean, that compost... I mean, like, my brown bin smells yeah. horrendous at yeah. the best of times. I cannot only imagine what no because it smells now one year later it'll be the most perfect soil ever. I mean that's what the what's great is that's what the compost centres are learning now you know that we're, that we're forcing to do we're slowly coming to to an understanding of this we haven't yet put human manure and I know any doctor will say there are pathogens there are dangerous pathogens in, in, pathogens in human manure yeah. but if you we're if not you, really recommending this no but it can be bro- if you break it down I, I mean, the, yeah, the Chinese don't die from it you know you, there are ways of composting it safely okay. as I yeah. said we're not really recommending it okay this sounds like a, a kind of a it's almost like a you're in thoughtful kind of reflective mood. I mean, this is kind of like a a, a way of living better. 
Is that what you're... Exactly. It's just another reason to, when you're abroad, just to be open-minded to things and think, yes, what's lovely is to see, God, what amazing things we do have in Ireland. Like that, as you said, that friendliness, that ease of life, but also to realise there are solutions. Like, you know the way when you go out in Germany, you don't, they don't buy rounds, okay? So you're not constantly having to drop 30 euros and then think, God, did I get his round back? You just, you go into the bar and they put a little mark on your beer, on your beer mat. And at the end of the night, you count up how many beers you had. Would it, would it overnight, I don't know how we're going to bring that, but overnight if we brought that in, suddenly you get all that pressure, that ridiculousness of being round and round after beer by just accepting another idea. Okay, I'm just thinking about you saying uh, open your mind because it always amuses me when people go abroad and like you see friends who have photographs of uh, religious ceremonies when they're in Spain or Mexico mm-hmm. or whatever. At the same people who would be appalled at the idea of a, of a Legion of Mary uh, <laughs> procession through, yeah, and yeah. they'd be scathing about it. So yeah. maybe it works both ways as well. Yeah, I mean, I'd love when, as I say, I'm just back from Washington, I'd love if they learned their idea from us that you don't need to tip for every single occasion. Like that, that how, and you know, as we know now, San Francisco and New York are trying to move away from tipping and how to move a whole culture from something else, even if you see it working better uh, in another country abroad, is, is a really difficult thing. But it's sort of, it's another way of inspiring us about what's great about in Ireland but also when you're abroad to see there are solutions um, that could that could relatively easily be implemented one of the best things is is in 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 um, in Holland they do this thing so when you're in they put people's birthdays okay you know that you're always forgetting people's birthdays so you write them in the calendar but then you forget to look at the calendar so they have the calendar up in front of the of in front of the lavatory so ever they know that every day someone's going to sit in the lavatory and look at the calendar and they're going to know whose birthday it is so then you can go into work and you know ah it's your birthday it's your birthday it's like a clever idea genius okay <laughs> Mancon McGann uh, thanks as ever it's a travel slot with a, a bit of a difference indeed week, but uh, I enjoyed it very much thanks indeed for Thank coming into us